I'm going to have you turning your Bibles uh, to Proverbs chapter 15. Proverbs chapter 15, then we're going to switch to Matthew chapter 8. Um, I'm going to read a verse to you as I get started, and uh, it's a verse that you already know. And uh, the most popular passage in Scripture, but it's been on my heart, and I want to kind of convey it or share it with you in a, in a different light. The Bible says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, For God sent, it, for God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The thing is, I know that we know this verse, and I know the reason that we often say, we'll, we'll, we'll preach that, and, and I'm not saying what I'm about to say is wrong, because it is the obvious and it is truth, that God loved us so much that God sent his son in the world to die for us, because God loved us so much, and God died for us, so that we would have a way into heaven, and that, that we would have eternal life living with the Son, and in the love of the Son, and love of Jesus Christ, and, and I'm so thankful that we have that. We sing that, we say that, we preach that. We, we, when we say that, wouldn't you like to have, and we'll, we'll be witness to something, wouldn't you like to know that you're going to spend forever in heaven? And the Bible says right there, everlasting life, and we emphasize those things. But there's two sides of it. Verse 17 says, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be, what's the word? The word saved implies rescued. He died to do more than just to be with us. He came to do more than just show us love. He came to deliver us from a destination that we were headed. And, and I, I don't think we say that enough. It's easier to tell somebody that, hey, there's heaven and God wants you to be there. Hey, there's, there's a place that God's prepared, mansions, and, and God loves you so much. And did you know that how much that God loves you? And all that is true. But I'm telling you, there was more on the mind of God than just loving us and just saving us for us to be with him. And you're saying, oh, let me show you. I came across this verse, and it really hit me hard. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 11 Proverbs chapter 15, verse 11, it says, Hell and destruction are before the Lord. How much more then are the hearts of the children of men? And I, I know what this verse is saying, so don't think I'm taking this out of context. It's an extreme illustration. The Bible's literally saying, hey, if God knows everything, even the parts that man doesn't know about, and God knows even the destruction that man doesn't know about, and God, God can even see to the parts of life which none of us have been to hell, none of us know about that. We'd all admit that, say, I don't know that. And it says, Right there, that all those things are before the Lord. How much more are the hearts of man? You see, the, the Bible is saying right here that God knows what's in your heart. Whether you, you hit it, nobody in the world knows about it, whether you've covered it up. And the Bible has given that illustration here. And I'm not trying to take away from the meaning of this verse. But I don't want to skip either what it said. Because it says right there, hell and destruction are before the Lord. Let me put it this way. God is consciously aware of hell. I know there is a hell. I preach on hell. I've taught on hell. I, I, when I preach, my heart is exposed to, to, to reading the verses to be able to get up and say that hell is filled with torments. But I, if I'm going to be totally honest with you today, I'm going to tell you this, that I don't totally understand hell. 
I don't. I can tell you it's forever, but I can't wrap my mind around forever. I know some of you are probably sitting there just like I am saying, you know, I've tried to do that, that same thing forever, eternity, infinity. How, how, how do you explain that? How can you put that in words? I can tell you that there's weeping and gnashing of teeth according to what the Bible says, but I, I tell you what, for me to get up and just say those words, I don't think we understand that. That, that weeping and gnashing literally meant extreme torment that's beyond description. That there's not just people sitting around talking about it. It is beyond that. To why? But the Bible says that there's weeping, which is wailing. An eternal torment that, that can't be expressed except through pain of screaming out an eternal suffering. I know the, the, the gnashing of teeth has a, a number of different explanations of, of disgust and, and, and being literally feeling hopeless. I can tell you the Bible says that there's a lake of fire. But my mind cannot imagine a bottomless pit consumed with fire. I can't. I can't imagine being separated from my loved ones forever. And I know even when I get up and I preach for funerals and I get up and say, hey, thank God we're going to see them again. Thank God it's not forever. Thank God we're, we'll, one day when we walk through that golden shore and we see Jesus on the other side, and, da, 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 and one day there's going to be a reunion. But I can't imagine. I'm just being honest. I can't imagine if you were to come up to me and tell me that I would never see my wife again. I, I can't wrap my mind around the fact if you were to tell me that I would never see Morgan, Jordan, or Logan ever again. I can't imagine that. My mind cannot fathom that, and neither can yours. So even when I say that I get up and preach this, I can't even put into words. I can't put into my emotions I can't put into a PowerPoint or an illustration or anything else. I cannot tell you enough how true this is. I've heard screamings before, but not screamings that never stopped. But the Bible says that hell and destruction are before the Lord. And the thought hit me. God knows every name in hell. God hears every scream in hell. God understands eternity. God knows the terror of the flames because God is all-powerful. God is all-knowing. God is completely aware, and God is everywhere. I know that, but I've never connected the dots before of saying that God is all-knowing to connect that with hell. I never thought, as I'm reading verses, the heart of God was saying, hey, I know who's there. I hear the screams when you can't hear the screams. I, I know the gnashing of the teeth when they're crying out in torment saying, this will never end, this will never end, this will never end. God says, I hear that. You cannot, but God does know that. The Bible says that God hears the teenagers rejected Christ week after week, but he's there screaming, saying, I believe now. He hears that dad that refused every invitation from his kids to come to church over and over again, but that dad's there now, and he's screaming that out now. He, God says, I hear that. God, here's the screams of that church member that said, I will get saved next week. I'll make it right. It's just not time. I'm afraid. I'm embarrassed. I'm going to have you turning your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. I have a story that Jesus himself taught on hell. And it's the way that he did it that's so staggering. And I've touched on this before. I've actually been through this passage, but I want to unveil this to you. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into the Capernaum, there came out unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick and palsy and grievously tormented. 
Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come underneath my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers unto me. And I say to, to this man, go, and he goeth, and to that another, come, and he cometh. To my servant, do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled. And he said unto them that follow, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now you've got to understand this situation. This man that had authority, and he walks up to Jesus, and he said, Man, I understand your authority. I've got the authority where I can just say, go do this and go do that. Bow down, get up, go there, go to war, whatever. And he, got, he said, I understand that. And they follow me and they do what I tell them to do. I understand that. And he bows before him and he said, and I understand your authority as well, sir. I understand that you have the authority to say, go and do or whatever. You don't even have to be there. Your very words have the power. And Jesus stood back in amazement saying, wow. Because this man with so much passion runs up to Jesus, bursts through the crowd, pleads before him as king of kings. He said, I recognize your power. He said, why did God marvel? He said, the word marvel means to admire, to be taken back. With this man's passion to save somebody. This part is odd. I'm going to admit it because when you're reading this story, this part comes into it and you're like, whoa, where'd this come from? This, this man's servant is in horrible pain. The centurion is disturbed by this to the point where he's crying out to God just saying there's not even time for you to come home just say the words and I know it will be done and then Jesus turns in the midst of this and read verse 11 and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham Isaac and Jacob and in the kingdom of heaven he acknowledged that Jesus that came down that loved us so much that 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 knows all these things stood and said hey guys there's a lot of people, and he's putting that thing and says, not just you guys from all over the place that will sit down with your forefathers. You might not believe that they deserve heaven, but everybody from the east and the west will come from all over. They deserve heaven as well. But then he said, verse 12, but the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we have to stop and say, Lord, why did you stop in the middle of your message, in the middle of this healing, to turn around and say, hey, that makes me think of something. Hey, you know what? That reminds me a lot of hell. Can I, can I sit here and teach on that? Is that man's pleading and crying and lifting up his hands saying, just say the words, say the words. And Jesus turns and gets into this message about hell. Jesus said in the centurion, go thy way, and thou hast believed, so it be unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self same hour. Let's set the, the record straight about something. This is what I, I, I'm going to pull. And you say, how do you know this? How do you believe this? Because Jesus said it. Number one, let me get this into your head. And I don't have a fancy outline. You just have to get this point across. Hell is real. Hell is real. I know it because God said it. Hell is not a joke. It's not fictitious. It's not a party. It's not a cuss word. The world can be difficult. And people turn around and say, my life is hell. You have no idea. The reality of it is, is hell is a literal place that God described. Jesus was not using scare tactics. He was not playing on their emotions. All these times pe people get up and say, oh, that preacher got up there and he's just trying to scare people into this and saying this. No, Jesus didn't do that. 
See, that, that, that it was just a fact. There is a place, it's eternal, it's forever, it's weeping and gnashing of teeth, it's the lake of fire, there's no end to it, that it's, just, it's for all of eternity and there's no getting out. And the truth of the matter is it's got to come out of our lips and the world's got to know this because Jesus did come and he does love us and he did make a way to hell, a heaven, but he also saved us from hell. That's where the saved part comes in. You say, why is this not being mentioned today? The subject of hell is avoided today. Preaching on hell is avoided today. Why? Because nobody wants to be confronted with that. And the truth of the matter is in a church like ours, people would stand up and say, man, if you get up there and preach on hell, people come to be edified and people come to be lifted up and they want to hear something positive. And I agree with that, but I'll tell you, people need to know the truth. And I'm glad you're here and I love each and every one of you and I will do anything to help you, but I'm not doing you any favors if I don't tell you the truth. Amen. When we skip around it, when we don't tell both sides of it, we don't do any justice to anybody. Bible gives us clear accounts in Luke chapter 16, verse 19. It came to pass that the beggar died, and certain the angels, of, angels in Abraham's bosom, and the rich man died also and was buried, and, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. The rich man died, and he woke up in hell. And the Bible explains, and he cried, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. It wasn't just a mental state of mind. It wasn't a position on earth. He died, and there was a place after death that he stepped into. It was not just, and I tell you, I even Googled this this past week just for curiosity. An article after article, the big fallacy in churches today is there is no hell, and preachers are using scare tactics, and da da And I mean, I'm talking, they were even trying to quote scripture to counter this, but I'm telling you, the person behind that is the devil, and he's laughing at it because people are keeping their lips shut about the reality of hell. He cried out for Lazarus. He was in a mental state, and he remembered people back here. You ever stop to think about who's crying out your name? You say, wow, you're just trying to, no, I'm, I'm telling you scriptures. There, there are very few accounts that gives us a glimpse into hell, and this is one of them. And the Bible lays out that there was a man that went to hell, and on his mind was somebody that knew Christ on the other side. Have you ever stopped to think about that? How many people, I, I talk to them at work, but I'm just, I'm just not into offending people, and that's their business and whatever. I tell you, none of that will matter when they're in hell. To be honest, when I look at John 3.16 now, I know there's more to it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that, he, that whosoever believeth in him should not die and go to hell, but would have everlasting life. As much as there is an eternal life in heaven, there is an eternal life in hell. And God loved me so much that he came to save me, is what chapter 3, verse 17 says. He came with the heart to do whatever it took. When he was being scourged, the consciousness of hell was on his mind. When he was being built, hell was on his mind. When he took the nails, when he took my debt, he was conscious of hell. Going back to our story, when, why did Jesus stop in the midst of this desperate situation, this plea, when he was talking to all those people and he turned around, the centurion cried out to Jesus and he ran to Jesus and he threw himself down and he did that and Jesus stopped and said, hey, 
Let me tell you something. Let me teach you something. If you guys would understand somebody and people that are in torment and understanding that this man is so burdened, and you would go out of your way and you would cry out to God and say, please rescue, please save, please help God. You're the only one that can save the loved one that is being tormented. And in this reference, I'm not even talking about saving and pulling them back out of hell because there's no way of this. But his centurion was alive. He was just vexed with, a, with an issue here on this earth. But Jesus used this as an illustration and say, if you people would follow the passion of this man, if you would realize the reality of this, would you understand and, and go out of your way and fall before God and plead for the power that only God has, it would make all the difference. See, Jesus said that he came to do the will of his Father. See, there's coming a day that I'm telling all of us, there's coming a day that it will be too late. I, I, I can't put that in my mind, understand, to think that, God, give me, give me the words today. Lord, help me to understand today. Because the day will come when your prayers will not help. And that's hard for us as Christians to understand that there would be something that's true to say that prayers will be helpless or worthless. But at that point, you cannot pray someone out of hell. Let me, let me give you just two quick points and then we'll be done. Jesus was teaching two lessons that I pulled out of this. Number one was to the saved. When we see this man's passion, he, he's, he's saying, I, I'm going to do what I can, why I can. I'm going to plead why I can. I'm going to beg why I can. I'm going to seek God's face why I can. I, I, I think about Jesus of why he came. The Bible says that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. He was willing at that point with the reality of hell, when he understood, when he believed it in his mind 100% that there was a hell, and God knew it because when God was walking, the Bible says that hell and destruction are before God. He knew for every person and every Pharisee that rejected him that their destination was hell, and it motivated him to the point where he could lay on a cross and be nailed to a cross and lifted up on a cross and cry out from a cross and say in the midst of them doing all that, Father, forgive them. He say, how is that possible? Because his motivation was to reach those that were going to hell. How deep is our motivation? See, see the thing is, if we don't have a deep-rooted understanding that hell is real, it, it, it will dampen our motivation for what we do. Because it's almost even in our minds and Christians and saying, hey, there's a real hell and people are going there. And then we won't even take out a flyer or a track to give it to somebody. I, you'd have to question yourself, how much do you believe that? And I, I'm saying this to all of us. I'm not just, uh, I'm saying this to me first. How motivated are we are if we believe in, in and I, I thought of this. Have you ever had your kids go up to you and, and say something and say, that's probably a trillion billion dollars or something like that. And we laugh and go, oh, there's no such thing as that much money. You know, or, you know we just, and just think in, in terms like that. But I thought even at a tri trillion billion whatever you go on in light of eternity, it's just beginning. And I, I can't even put my mind on that as after they've been there for millions of years to turn around and God's saying, it has not even begun. There is no end. There is no end. I can't imagine. And I thought if we would just get that in the glimpse of our minds, if we would wake up to that reality, how much different would our Christmas drama be? 
How much different would our bus ministry be? How much more would we pray before we stood before a class? How many more people would want to work the altar? How many more people would pass out a flyer? How many more phone calls would we make if we believed that? And I'm not talking about just, oh, that was a good lesson, and that verse says that. But I'm saying when our hearts beat with the, with, with the flames of hell of understanding that every time someone goes there, it's forever. Jesus marveled. So guys, if you would dare run your evangelism that way, if you would dare have a heart for people the way that this man has a heart for this guy, the world would be different. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He didn't care what it took to take my life, lay down my life. I don't have a place to lay my head. I've come to do the will of my Father. And then I think for us, we won't even, we won't even sacrifice to give to the church or to support the buses or to, to put in missions or do the job. We turn around and say, I won't, I won't give up my cable television. I won't give up my drinks and I won't give up my high-speed internet. But we believe in hell. Now you're just, just trying to, no, I'm not. Because I'm, I'm thinking, have you ever had regrets? Have you ever done something, oh, if I could just, man, if I could just, I've thought about being in heaven and looking back. I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what did I do? A waste. And I'm not saying not to have pleasures and not to have joy. I mean, I, I promise you, life should be filled with those things. But I'm asking about priorities. You know what I'm saying? I'm asking about priorities. We, we, we do the Christmas trauma, and, and leading up to it, we do a, a, a Christmas offering here at the church, and you get all more money. I'll tell you what. I, I'd rather, I would rather, I would rather know that my family contributed together for one soul to be saved on this drama than I would an extra game box, GameCube, Xbox, and all the other stuff that we invest so much in. And I'm just looking back and saying, Lord, I want to be able to say that I gave my time, and it was 3.30, but I did it. I, I gave my time on Saturday to go visit people. I gave, I gave my time to pray and to study and invest. God, I did my best. I want to be able to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And now, what did you do with all that time? Everything you did. How much different would your church attendance be, your involvement be, your giving be, and your faithfulness to God be if we had the reality of hell in our minds with all that we did? How much different would it be? Lesson two, I think, would be for the lost. Of how Satan has implanted in the minds of so many people to say that I'll deal with it later, I'll make things right, I've got time, I'm young. The thing is, nobody plans to die. And the truth of the matter is, there will be no standing before God saying, God, I was so close. God, I heard it, I know it, I'll give you the plan of salvation. God, my mom, my dad, and God's going to say, depart from me, your name is not written in the Lamb's book of life. That's it. And I stand before you. Wanting you to know that that's the message that God laid on my heart. And if you walk out of here and say today, I will never go back to that church because I'm not going into some church that's just going to beat me down with something like this. I want you to know that today you heard the truth. And if you never come back here again and you hate my guts, please understand that this pastor loved you enough to tell you the truth. God will build this church. It's not my job. God will build this church. My job is to preach the truth. 
And the more that it becomes unpopular in the world, the more we as Christians better hold it up higher. The more that the world accepts the junk of this world, the more that we need to hold up righteousness even higher. Not that we try to become self-righteousness, but the Bible says, oh, let our light so shine. Through the attitudes of everything that we do, this church was established for the glory of God. We will continue for the glory of God, and that's the only reason that should be the motivation of what we do.